Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman with you here today as we get ready to celebrate a very special Shabbos. As the Shabbos following Tisha B'Av is always known as Shabbos Nachamu. What is Shabbos Nachamu? Well, of course, the name is taken from the opening words of this week's Haftorah, which is Nachamu, Nachamu Ami. Console, console my people. And it's with this sentence that we begin a series of seven special Haftorahs known in halachic literature as the Shiva Dinechemta, the seven Haftorahs of consolation. From the Shabbos after Tishabav and for the next six weeks coming forward as we make our way towards Rosh Hashanah, we read these very special, deeply moving words of comfort to the Jewish people that were uttered by our prophets, particularly by Isaiah, the prophet of redemption. And so we're going to be reading this Shabbos, this very special Haftarah. And of course, there are very special insights and messages and lessons that we could learn from this. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. Because firstly, all of these Haftarahs are deal with consolation. These Haftarah portions are designed to be a seven-step consolation process to ease us from our past destruction to the promise of a greater and brighter future. Now, of course, whenever you're visiting somebody who's in a time of mourning and sadness, and unfortunately our community has seen our more than fair share of that during these times, you know, it's appropriate when you when people visit someone for Shiva. We have to be mindful. We have to be aware of the proper... Etiquette. Uh, there's no official rules, protocol of the rules of Shiva. Actually, there are some that I mentioned in Jewish literature and halacha. But as the Machs of Vitri points out, you don't just throw all the words of comfort and consolation in one shot. And the reason is that often when a person is devastated, there's only so much consolation that they're willing to hear before the words of the person comforting to become to be relevant, to to make a difference. It takes some time. And if you just go too much in, the Medrash tells us that these Haftarah portions, which are all describing various aspects of comfort that we recite after Tishbav, all the way up until Yom Kippur. So it goes, it's a little bit of time, it's gradual. Because... The Medrash says when you overly comfort a grieving person, it's like one who tells a beggar tomorrow you'll be a king. Something the beggar is not going to believe. And so, in a similar fashion, the Jewish people, we get the comfort from Hashem in various gradual stages. For example, the Medrash says, when Maisha came to the, tell the Jewish people, about God's going to liberate them from their bondage in Egypt. What does the verse say? The Jewish people didn't listen to him. Why? Because Because unfortunately at that stage they were still slaves. And so they couldn't listen when they were short of breath and engaged in the, hard la- in the harsh labor. So therefore these Haftarahs of comfort are come gradually. First this week we read Nachamu, next week will be Vatomer Tzion, 
So it's, it's to imply that although Jerusalem has been destroyed, but one should not say that it has been completely abandoned. And so each week we read another aspect or element, just like when Moshe came to tell the exhausted, broken, our, our ancestors who were being persecuted as slaves in Egypt, that he's there to take them out of Egypt to a brighter future, that he was basically be- met with a blind steer. Why are you talking about that? They said, can't you see the harsh reality? Why are you teasing us with such fantasies? And so to avoid this problem, to make the consolation process meaningful and relevant, the seven afters of consolation are read in stages to gradually build up our strength and the hope of our people. Today, I want to focus on the very beginning of the Haftarah that we read this Shabbos. The very beginning of that process of comfort of consolation. The very first words of the Haftarah. Nachamu, nachamu, ami, yomare lekechem. The words that Yeshayahu, Isaiah the prophet says, console, console my people, says Hashem. It's interesting, he, he uses this double expression of nechama, of comfort, of solace. And we wonder, what's the reason? Is there any specific meaning we could ask to the, why the double use of the words nachamu? Now, a very simple answer provided by the commentator, the Radak, Rabbi David Kimchi, was a great uh, commentator on Torah, lived in the Middle Ages, and he's probably best known for his classic commentaries on, on Torah works. He's known as the Radak. And so he says that the repetition of the word is actually for emphasis. Let me quote his words to you. Nachamu, nachamu. He says, Kol the double consolation, Nachamu, Nachamu, console, console my people. Says the Radak, all these comforts will take place in the era of Mashiach, so the double language is to strengthen, to emphasize the point. But the Medrash sees a deeper significance in this double language. One which affects both our understanding of what led to our pain as our people experience to begin with and our understanding of the kind of consolation that's offered by our Haftarah. And if you go to the words of Eicha that we just read on Tisha B'Av, we describe the sadness, the calamity that befell our people. It's lamentations describing what went on during that time. And we read the words, we're describing the the sin that was committed by the people, by our ancestors. And Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu the prophet, describes it like a double expression. Literally, it's Jerusalem sin to sin. Saying it was such a grievous, heinous sin. And so they were doubly stricken. As the, the pasta continues, for she has taken from the hand of Hashem double for all our sins. And so, says the Medrash, because there was a double punishment, so came the double nechama, the double expression of comfort, of consolation. Because unfortunately, there's a double grieving. And the reason we are doubly grieving 
is based on the words we read in Eicha, the Chet Chata, the double expression of sin. It was so grievous. So we were doubly punished for committing a double sin. But now we wonder, what exactly does that mean? The Medrash doesn't seem to refer to a particular double sin in quantity. What two sins did we commit? But it refers to a double sin, rather, in quality. What's the nature of sin that is qualitatively double? What does it mean to be doubly punished for that sin? And again, it doesn't seem to mean two punishments for two sins, but rather one punishment, which seems to be doubly severe. Now, even more so, I would say, the entire premise of God's punishment seems to be out of sync with conventional Jewish wisdom. How and why would God want to punish the Jewish people doubly to the point that they need double consolation? Don't we think of God as the epitome of kindness? Isn't God essentially good? How do we understand that God punished us so severely? God is the provider of, of free, unlimited kindness, even to those who perhaps don't deserve it. Shh. But God's not supposed to be a vengeful God who just doles out undue harsh punishments to his beloved nation, God forbid. So what's the meaning of the double punishment that the Medrash is speaking of? In Hasidic literature, particularly in a mimer of the Rebbe Rashab, he talks about this. So what's the meaning of this double language of Nachamu, Nachamu? Why console, console? And he quotes the Medrash. What's the meaning of this doubling? And so my friends, what I'd like to do today with you is to learn and to understand what the meaning of this double sin, the double punishment, and this Shabbos is Haftorah, of the double consolation, a beautiful, inspirational thought that was taught by the Rebbe. Let me share with you something. After the Rebbe got married in 1928, married the daughter of the previous Rebbe, Rebbe Tzanchaya Mashka, they, got, they moved to Berlin. In fact, they got married in Warsaw, Poland, and then they moved to Berlin. There the Rebbe studied at the university in Berlin. One of his prestigious colleagues was Rabbi Joseph Berselevichik. And during that time, it was a very difficult and tumultuous time for the Jewish people. In fact, in 1933, after the rise of the Nazi party in Germany, they left Berlin. And the Rebbe and his wife, the Rebetzin, they moved to Paris. And there in France, the Rebbe continued his studies, but also was getting very involved in communal activities on behalf of the previous Rebbe. In November 1937, the Rebbe was studying at the Sorbonne, he studied mathematical mathematics, um, applied engineering. Until World War II broke out in 1939, now parenthetically, he once was asked about his engineering 
And he said, although I studied electrical engineering, I prefer to turn on souls. And indeed, that's what the mission of the Rebbe was, and certainly the mission he transferred to each of us to continue to do too. Well, in June 1940, as the terrible war raged on and the armies of Nazi Germany prepared to conquer Paris, there was a French general who befriended the Rebbe and offered him a residence in the countryside. But understanding what was going on, seeing the true significance of the Nazi occupation, he actually declined the offer. And just on June 11th, just three days before Paris fell, the Rebbe and Rebbetson fled one of the last trains to leave the city. And after a serious, perilous journey over the front lines of the occupation, they arrived in Vichy, France, which later on became the seat of the Nazi or the pro-Nazi French puppet government. They remained in Vichy for a few months before moving to Nice, where they stayed until they finally escaped in June 1941 and arrived safely on the shores of the United States of America. Now, during that time, the Rebbe wrote a diary, which he never published. But in 1994, after the Rebbe's passing, that diary was found amongst his possessions that he left behind. Very many of his possessions he disposed of before, either gave away to individuals or, for whatever reason, eliminated. Many documents people saw that the Rebbe removed. But this was found amongst his possessions and was published. His diary, his personal notes from that period And so I want to share with you a beautiful, fascinating insight of this concept of the double comfort and consolation that the Rebbe shared during that time. So please, after this break, please come back and join us. We will continue with that just now. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kivan and today I was sharing with you, this is Shabbos Nachamu this weekend. So we're talking a little bit about the double expression of comfort that's mentioned that the prophet Isaiah says, Nachamu, Nachamu, console, console, my people, a message from God. Why is God offering us this double comfort? And so I told you I'd share with you a fascinating insight the Rebbe wrote in the 1930s in his diary, which would give us an understanding of this idea. And he refers to the difficult challenges and struggles that he and his wife were enduring during that time, their personal experiences, first in Berlin under the Nazi regime, and then escaping to Paris, then to Vichy, then to Nice. And not just themselves, but he's talking about the the trials, the tribulations, the difficulties of all the people. And this could certainly be applied not only to what they were experiencing then, trying to escape from the murderous Nazis, 
But the truth is we could apply it to ourselves, to whatever challenges, obstacles, and difficulties we face in our life. And certainly mankind, and no doubt us as a Jewish people, were unfortunately no stranger to such tribulations. Our storied history is full of persecution, plundering, pillaging, expulsions, crusades, all the different pogroms in our crazy history. And on an individual level, each of us also can relate to whatever suffering, heartbreaking loss, difficult poverty and, and pain and illness that people endure. Or even people who have whatever difficult setbacks in life which keep them on their toes, which perhaps get in the way of fulfilling our dreams and ambitions, our goals, and we're left shaking our heads. Why is this happening? Why is God picking on us or on me or on so-and-so? What does God want from me exactly? And after being knocked down again and again, how could I expect to pick up the pieces to get to the other side? At some point it seems that we're being tested just too much. And these are tough questions, extremely tough. I don't have a brilliant canned answer that's going to magically make everything right. But I do wish to share with you a message of tremendous hope that the Rebbe saw during those dark days that he spent there escaping the Nazis. And he refers to a very famous interpretation by his great-grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zaman of Liadi, the founder of Chabad, who the Rebbe succeeded six generations later on the topic of God testing his people. The Torah tells us that they, they could come a, ta a time that they may arise people who will come in the name of God with a message and these people may perform incredible miracles and demonstrate supernatural power to prove that they're divinely sent but God cautions we must always look not only after the sign but after the message a person may be able to split the sea or do some other great miracle but if the prophecy that he preaches veers one iota from the teachings of the Torah, we have to understand that he's nothing but a false prophet. And the Torah says very clearly that in such an instance, you shouldn't listen to such a person. But God tells us, what happens? Why not to listen to that prophet or to that fortune teller? Because God is testing you. God is testing you to know whether you really love Him with all your heart, with all your soul. As we see in our parsha, the Shema. The Ahavta, Shema Lekecha. Do we truly love Hashem our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, with all our possessions? So the Alter Rebbe famously notes the point of this test is not for God. After all, God knows exactly what's going on in our heart. God doesn't need any kind of test to know what's really in our hearts. So, but rather, it's about ourselves. It's The test is for us. It's a test for ourselves. And so, this is the point. When God places an obstacle in the way of our faith, it becomes a crystallizing moment for us to refocus on who we really are. And what we really believe, what strength we really have. Think about like a teacher who puts a trick question on an exam to sharpen the student's skills. Now for a moment, the student's 
might think, oh my goodness, what's the teacher doing? Confusing me. But ultimately the point of the trick question is to force the students to think more deeply about the matter, to consider the options more carefully, and eventually reach the correct conclusion. After passing the test, that's when the student's skills have been sharpened if they applied their mind. And of course, they're better equipped to use the knowledge in life. And so similarly, we have to understand, says Al-Tareda, that when God says that these obstacles in life are a test, the goal is that next time, that when we're challenged, we could pause, we could take a good look into our own hearts, we can make the correct decisions. But this time from a place of experience, our commitment to truth is not just by default, but it's tried and it's tested. And therefore it's so much truer and that much more meaningful. And the same could be said, the Alter Rebbe explains, of the various trials and tribulations that we each encounter in our own life. I'm not, this isn't about justifying pain and suffering. But when we go through our own difficulties, perhaps we should look at the silver lining. What's COVID-19 all about? What is this coronavirus? Why has God done done so? And some people have, are able to find that silver lining in it, how it's improved their lives, given them more meaning to cherish and appreciate the family time. We live our lives with a certain mission, with a divine goal. We want to study Torah, we want to pray, we want to observe God's commandments with our fullest energy and with commitment. But often we face obstacles in the face of that goal. We want to send our children to a Jewish school perhaps. But oh, the money, the cost, tuition, Jewish schools cost more. Thank God it's not such a big problem here in South Africa. I think we have a higher percentage of kids in Jewish schools than other communities do. But there's no doubt that it costs more, it requires more sacrifice, and people fetch and complain about it. I certainly hear all the time from people, I would love to keep kosher, but why is kosher meat double the price? I want to go to an early minion, but my body wants to sleep. I have to be at work soon. It can be very challenging. We might ask, if God wants us to serve Him, why does He make it so hard? And so the Alter Rebbe teaches that if it were all smooth sailing, we would never really grow. We would never really meet our true potential in our divine service. It's specifically by overcoming those obstacles that we tap into the deeper strengths that we might have, we might not have previously been aware that we have. And so we have to understand that any time in life there's a Yerida, that we have a descent, that we have a downfall, a difficult challenge, ultimately, it should be for the purpose of an Aliyah that we gain from it, that it becomes a springboard for personal growth. Challenges not only make our Torah observance practically difficult, but they could also cause a crisis of faith for some people. Here I'm working so hard to find God, there's nowhere to be seen. I'm a good Jew, and instead of showing me open kindness, you get bills from the school and, and, and eviction notices or who knows what. Faith is tested. Is God real? Does He really care about my divine service? Am I simply wasting time? And so the Alter Rebbe teaches us that, of course, God cares and God is right there. But he illustrates this actually with a parable of a father who's hiding from a son. 
God conceals himself and watches us to see if we'll get the point or the test. The point, of course, is that we overcome that situation. We find our inner fortitude, our inner strength to serve him no matter what the challenge is. To overcome that the obstacle should be an opportunity. And he quotes the verse that says, I will hide my face like a father who hides from his kids. That the kid will chase after him. It's like a game of hide and seek. Why does the father do this? So that the son's wisdom will be revealed. That he'll understand that the concealment is not real. But he just wants the child to search for him. The Maggot of Mezrich said, God Almighty, you're playing hide and seek with your people. But you're hiding too much that your people are getting exhausted and tired of searching for you. And indeed, challenging situations could often bring out the best in people. You know, Churchill famously said at the time when the prospects for Britain in World War II were grim, he said, if the empire lasts a thousand years, men will say this was their finest hour. A person could find hope in considering that God's looking for us to reach deep within and bring out the best we've got. And that's when we'll discover a new deeper dimension in our relationship with Hashem. Question is why it is, why it is the case that challenges sometimes are able to bring out the best in us. Right? How could it be that a negative situation could bring out such positive results? Why did God orchestrate that such dark, challenging, negative situations carry within them the ability to unlock such tremendous goodness? Isn't it paradoxical? Families come together during misfortune. That the community bonds together. We say to Hillam, charitable, generous giving when the situation is bleak. And so the answer, as the Alter Rebbe explains, is that for the highest spiritual energy to make it down to our world, it has to be concealed in the dirt and the trenches of life's challenges. Like a falling wall where the highest bricks have the greatest distance to fall. So long as the wall stands, the bricks on top are king. But when it goes tumbling down, those higher up bricks stand up the furthest most down. You look at the search in the Surfside disaster. Those who lived in the beautiful penthouses took a lot longer to find them. And so if the powerful divine energy from the very top, from the spiritual levels that are so lofty are to be found in this world and accessed by us fallible mortals, it has, it's going to be concealed in the very lowest and darkest places because they're, they're here for us to uplift them. We don't obviously ask God for challenges. God forbid. Every day, we ask God in our blessings and our mourning. We ask God not to bring us to trial and to disgrace. But if God forbid someone does find themselves in a rut, there's comfort in the idea that the situation's intense negativity, the brute challenge speaks to a much greater, brighter future that's to come to a divine energy that, that can't be too far away.
In truth, the whole process of the ex of, of this is to find a deeper meaning in our relationship with God, a truer perception of God. And when we consider that, we have the strength to pass the test with flying colors. We realize that our moral and our spiritual courage will be all the greater for it. And the test will cease to exist. We realize that we'll be able to overcome every obstacle challenge that comes our way. We're not asking for challenges, God forbid. But when we're confronted with a challenge, we have to consider that the challenge often brings out the best in us. It's when an obstacle is placed in our path that we find the strength deep within us to overcome it and to move on in the right direction. And the reason for this is that this is the way God made it, that, that the loftiest divine energy to make its way down here in our world in a way that we could reach it, it has to fall extremely far from its root and the, so it's concealed in darkness. But when we consider that within the darkness, godliness is near, that God is there, God's presence in, in everything, then we're empowered to recognize the test and then we can really truly pass it with flying colors. So my friends, we'll be back in a moment. I will try to translate these ideas into the Haftorah this week of Nachamu Nachamu Ami. Why the double expression of Chet Chata Yerushalayim and why the double punishment and therefore the double comfort and consolation. High FM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul, my dear friends. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. Great to be with you here today. And today we're talking about the special Haftorah we read this week, Shabbos Nachamu, in which we've been discussing the double expression, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, console, console, my people. And we mentioned how the Medrash refers to the book of Echa Lamentations that we read just a few days ago, in which we describe, Yerushalayim. The double sin that our ancestors committed. What's the meaning of the double sin and the double punishment and the double consolation of our Haftarah? And as I mentioned to you before, when the Rebbe, during the period of the 30s, the beginning of the war in Berlin and Paris, he wrote himself a personal diary. And in that diary, he wrote many notes he wrote about his experiences, but he also wrote tremendous, beautiful insights. This diary was found in 1994 after the Rebbe's passing, and it was published as Rishimos, as those personal notes from the Rebbe's teachings. And there he explains that in life, when we sin, there could be two distinct impairments in our relationship with God. And these could be understood by considering what exactly we are supposed to be doing here in this world. You know, we all know that we're here as God's emissaries to fulfill the divine mission and purpose, the will of God that God put us in this world for. So we are ambassadors of the divine light in this physical place known as planet Earth. That's why God put us in this world. So it goes without saying that we're supposed to take this mission very seriously and to do a good job of it. We can't mess things up. And this is an idea that's found on halacha. It says that when someone entrusts another person with a mission, 
There's an automatic understanding that the agent is supposed to do it well. It's a basic concept in the Talmud, basic idea of Jewish law. The idea then, of course, of our agency on God's behalf in this world, we wonder when a person sins, God forbid, what are they doing? They're breaching. They are forfeiting. They are they're betraying that contract. Now, in Hebrew, the word for sin is chet, which can be understood in two different ways. The simple, the basic meaning of the word chet is a sin. A person violated, transgressed the law of the Torah. It's something bad a person does, which defies the command of God. It's very simple. But crucially, as explained in Hasidic teachings, the word chet is also used to refer to a lacking, a deficiency. And we find the word chet, the very beginning of the, of the book of Malachim of Kings. And there it says, When my Lord, the king, shall sleep with his fathers. King David says, And I and my son Shlomo, King Solomon, should be considered chatoim, offenders. What does the word hate offenders here really mean? In other words, what's the nature of the offense in this case? So Rashi, the foremost commentator of Torah, tells us very clearly, Chatoim, what does this word mean? When he says, King David says, I am my son Solomon, should be considered offenders, Chatoim, that they'll always be lacking, restrained from any greatness. Says the Rebbe, in the context of our job here on earth, we have two translations of the word hate, and they line up like this. A person is entrusted with a divine mission here in this world. If he or she goes ahead and actively sabotages the mission, right? Through, through, through actively doing an avera, committing a sin, a transgression, well then, that person has committed a hate in the typical sense, right? Which is translated as an actual perjury, a bona fide sin. Not only has that person not bettered the world, but has actually made it worse yet. But even if a person fails, not by committing an actual sin, but by just not fulfilling a mitzvah, then that person loses the opportunity to fulfill their mission on earth, to make this world a better place. There's still hate, a deficiency in their relationship with God. This person is meant to be, each one of us has our mission to complete in this world. So now we have the meaning of the first part, which speaks of the double sin. The sin we're speaking of is twofold. Firstly, that our ancestors, the Jewish people, then neglected to fully complete the divine mission in the world. And secondly, they actively did things which sabotaged their mission in the, formal, in the form of actual sins, the offenses they committed, which are described in the book of Jeremiah, what happened at that time. And so the result of this double sin was that they were doubly stricken. There was a double punishment. So we have to realize what's going on. The Torah's concept of punishment, let's remember, is not about vengeance. It's not about plain old retribution. Judaism views punishment rather as a cleansing the body and soul. 
to rid the people of sin by way of cleansing and atonement. The laws of the court administered penalties mandated by Torah teaches us that it's not about the good guys taking revenge and the bad guys, God forbid. In fact, once punishment has been administered, you know what Jewish law says? The court is obligated to treat the punished person with absolute dignity and respect because he's now considered cleansed, he's forgiven and pure. And that's why any person who received capital punishment, especially if they were hanged, their body was not hanged for very long and certainly not overnight. Rambam highlights this and tells us that once the punishment has been, has been administered, actually... The punished person is called Chayzer Le Kashrusay. They're no longer to be viewed as a criminal because he's a criminal no more. Now that person went through their cleansing process. The punishment was a cleansing process. And now they are considered a good and upright person. And so based on this idea that punishment absolves a person of their sin, returns them to their original upright status we could learn that what might seem as a punishment in life can in fact be viewed rather as a test a challenge you think of the challenges that people experience what does the torah tell us hashem is testing us the purpose is not a punishment the purpose what's discipline discipline is related to the word disciple to be a student to learn it's for us to learn. We're tested to give us the opportunity to pass the test, to bring out our truer self. And so hopefully with this, we can understand the double meaning of the meaning of the double punishment in our parsh, in our, in our, in, in Eicha and the double comfort that we're offered in our Haftorah this week. So because there was that double element of sin, and therefore, we're, and there was a double punishment, two temples destroyed, God denied them the opportunity, there was, there was, it was a terrible situation for them then. And to go a little bit deeper, it says like when a person is not only denied the opportunity, right, they were maybe rich before and they were punished to become impoverished. And now not only did they become impoverished because of their poverty, now they went and stole. So there's a double sin committed because of the first sin. You know, the person who's begging clemency, compassion from the court because he's an orphan. He killed his parents and now he's begging compassion because he's an orphan. But there are times when God punishes a person in a way that seems to be actively encouraging the person to be worse like this situation is he not being doubly punished from God first he's punished with poverty then he's being punished with the sense that he's so poor that he that he he, he had to succumb to to theft and so the Talmud tells us mm -mm. Three matters cause a person to act against his own will and the will of his maker. Elohim. You know what they are? Idol worshippers. Ruach Ra. When a person has an evil spirit. And the depths of extreme poverty. 
What's the difference? What is the Talmud saying here? The Talmud is teaching us that people begging God mercy and the suffering from their problems, from the difficult stra- challenges in life. He said there are times that a person is punished in a way that it's impossible for them to do the mitzvahs. And he uses poverty as that example where a person is in a worse situation and might even come to theft. So it's obviously a horrible situation. Why would God do that? If the point of punishment is not retribution or vengeance, if it's an opportunity to be cleansed, how could God put a person into a situation where his hardships not only don't cleanse the person, but leads them to a worse situation, causes them to sink even lower and lower? Where's the justice? And so the Rebbe tells us, the answer is predicated on what we discussed about tests and challenges. That a challenge represents an opportunity to come closer to God. That godliness is concealed and we have to search and we have to find God in our life, in our world, in our troubles, in our struggles. You see, if the Jewish people had gone so low to commit that double sin, to not just neglect a few aspects of the divine mission, but rather to actively engage in behavior that flatly negates their mission in this world, they passed a certain boundary. This wasn't a matter of missing a few things while overall keeping the correct spirit. And the antidote to this problem is going to have to come from a very special place. A place that is not bound by the conventional norms of spirituality and physicality. Just like the trials and tribulations that we might encounter in life are a test, this double punishment is also a test. From within this double darkness, it's called a chayshif kafal and machupal, where a person's not only challenged in their faith, but is challenged in a way that leads them to more darkness. You could say the state of the Jewish people in many ways today. But the greatest potential lies in it. Yes, godly double punishes. God gave that double test, but only to give us the double opportunity to withstand that test, to access something that's even more incredible. And perhaps that's why we see the great, great Baal Shuvah movement going on today. How many Jewish people are returning to their roots, to the spiritual, to their soul, to the Jewish way of life. Because it's not about the double sin or the double punishment, but ultimately it's about the double consolation. No doubt we didn't come in this world with a contract that life will be easy. But I think there's an empowering lesson that we could all learn. And that is when we encounter our challenges, we might feel phased. But it's important to remember that with all, with all this, and I, I remind you as I say this, We should never ever justify another person's pain. I'm only talking about our own struggles. With another person, we should be there for them. We should commiserate and offer support, pray for relief. But when we encounter challenges on our own, my friends, we could find hope in them. Yes, we might ask, why? If I'm trying to be such a good Jew, why is God making it so hard? If I'm working so hard to get it, to do the right thing, why is... Why am I experiencing these difficulties? 
But, my friends, many will look at the obstacles as a sign, that's it, I'm done. And perhaps they despair, give up. But that's not the way it should be. Rather, we should do the opposite. We should realize the struggles, the challenges, the obstacles, the message of Shabbos Nachamu this week, the double consolation for a double test is that behind the imposing wall lays the greatest success. And it's precisely within the challenge that God says to us, show me what you've got. We all know we can fulfill our mission when things are easy. The question is if we could do it when things are tough, when life is hard. God knows with certainty that we can and therefore presents us with a challenge so that we can prove to ourselves that God is right and that His faith in us is justified. And this, if we could recognize this, hopefully this empowers us to get past the obstacles, to see each challenge as an opportunity. And we'll see that the whole thing, everything, is a, every, every obstacle in life is a stepping stone, is a springboard to bring us to the greatest heights. So my friends, let's remember that each of us were entrusted as God's agents in this world. We have a mission, a divine purpose to fulfill in this world. And yes, we face challenges and obstacles. And when we sometimes inadvertently or maybe even intentionally sin, we might fall, we might fail in our mission. But remember, failure is not getting knocked down. That's part of life. We're not angels, we're not robots, we're human beings. And we discuss two sides to that, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. But regardless... This double element, this double punishment means that a test coming from God that we're challenged in a way that leads us perhaps even to more challenges. One sin leads to another. But this represents the potential, the opportunity to go so much greater. Failure is only if we stay knocked down. So don't stay knocked down. When we recognize the challenge is a challenge, it's a test from God. And as a testament to God's faith in us that it's an opportunity for us to grow and thereby to experience the nachamu nachamu, the double expression of comfort and consolation. My friends, I wish you all a meaningful, beautiful, and delightful Shabbos nachamu. May you be comforted, consoled, in whatever difficulties, pain, challenges, struggles, Whatever one might be going through individually or as a community, we should overcome all of those and reach a place of ultimate comfort, the comfort which Almighty God will take each of us and bring us to the places where we deserve redemption for the world and give us what we need, our ultimate solace, Mashiach. Have a great day and a wonderful Shabbos.